Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go and make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. If you are a regular listener to One of a Kind You, thank you so much for taking the time to tune into another episode. I'm so thankful that you're here. And if you're new, welcome, welcome. I'm so thankful to have you here as well. So the way this podcast usually works is that I share a journal entry of mine from about five, oh, actually seven or eight years ago. Um, time is applying. And um, I reflect on what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I knew then when I was in the thick of the struggle. Uh, but today we're going to do this podcast episode a little bit differently. So I'm not going to necessarily just, I'm not going to necessarily share a journal entry with you, but I will um, share a personal experience with you as it relates to healing trauma. So um I have in my life been affected from generational trauma as well as childhood childhood trauma, um, specifically childhood emotional neglect. And um, the generational trauma is from both sides of my family. So my mom's family um, has perpetuated the cycle of generational trauma. And um, there are family members on my dad's side of the family who have also perpetuated generational trauma. And in their defense, they're not aware that they're doing this. And I feel like that's to, uh, like, you know, that's the norm. Most people don't wake up and say, oh yes, today I'm going to perpetuate the cycle of generational trauma. I'm going to continue to pass on this horrible, um, unfair, painful, stuff that's been given to me. And so this is by no means um, like a podcast episode of shaming family members or anything like that. It's more of coming from a place of awareness and, um, and recognition. And so um, generational trauma actually really, uh, it impacts a lot of people and communities. Um, but we're going to dive a little bit deeper with generational trauma, just to, to explore one aspect, one, I'll say side effect of generational trauma. And that can, and that is having trust issues. And especially when it comes to asking other people for help. So there are times, whether you have generational trauma or not, where I'm sure you've asked someone from help for help, and they haven't been there for you. And I always just grew up considering myself to be a really fiercely independent person. Um, I guess on some level, you know, because of survival, but also because I just think that's who I am innately. I just, I find joy in being able to do things for myself. It proves to me that I'm capable of doing things for and by myself. And, um, and I like figuring out how to do things. I like solving puzzles. So I think it taps into all of those things, but as I've gone through this journey and I've realized, um, how passive past experiences have affected me and, and I've recognized things that I've experienced in the past, such as generational trauma, um, and that, when I say generational trauma, that really is emotional and psychological wounds um, from traumatic experiences that are passed down through generations. And so it's really like this invisible string of pain 
um, that just keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer until someone in the family line decides to cut the string. And so because I've experienced that and I, and I didn't know that I was being affected by that. So, so most of you who are regular listeners know that, um, I started therapy, not because I thought I was, um, being affected by trauma, thought I was having an identity crisis after leaving my teaching career. And for me, that was really, that in and of itself was really painful, um, because I didn't go to college right out of high school. And my lifelong dream was to be a teacher, an elementary school teacher. And I finally had that. I had gone to school. Um, I had done my undergrad degree, like seriously hardcore in three years, um, taking a boatload of classes in, you know, one semester just to get caught up because I was almost in my mid twenties, um, and being graduating with an undergrad degree and feeling like I was behind. And so then to feel like that was all for nothing or, or I had done all that in vain, that was, that was devastating. And I couldn't see the gift in it in that moment, but that truly was why I went to, I started going to therapy was because I thought I was having an identity crisis and needless to say, the rug was ripped out from underneath of me because I didn't, it really didn't end up being about that. It ended up being about the fact that what I didn't know was this invisible string of trauma was rearing its ugly head. And that was why I was struggling in my teaching career, feeling like I didn't matter, feeling like I wasn't seen, I wasn't heard. And I was really riding like the hustle train of hustle, 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 hustle. I was sacrificing myself and time with my children and time with my husband to um, show up each and every day to be the best teacher I could. And while there was a lot of... um, motivation there because that was what I wanted to be and do was to be the best teacher to help these little kids grow and learn and become, you know, ready for the next grade and have success, not only in the next grade, but throughout their academic career. There was also this um, underlying need for someone to say like, yes, Kim, you're amazing. Great job. And as I was going through my teaching career, it was a big struggle for me to ask for help in times when I needed it. So, um, when my first year of teaching, there was no way I was asking anyone for help. My coworkers at that time didn't feel very friendly and welcoming. Um, I was uh, often the target of their scornful eyes, like feeling like I was constantly under their microscope being watched and judged and criticized. And so I was struggling as a first year teacher because I had some kids with big behaviors But I didn't feel like I could go to anyone because I thought that if I did, I was going to be seen um, as a bad teacher or as needy or um, as a failure. I don't know. It was just like there was just something about it that I could not allow myself to seek support from my coworkers, um, from my mentor teacher, from my principal. it was, it was really like an exhausting year. And in that first year, I questioned like, oh my gosh, did I make the right decision to become a teacher? And so that's just a small example of 
how I, you know, didn't ask for help. And so um, I kind of touched on it a little bit. One of the reasons that there are often trust issues and this fear of asking for help is because there's this fear of being judged. Um, people who have experienced generational trauma often worry how others will view them. Will they be seen in a negative way if they open up about their struggles? Um, will they be, will they, will people gossip? Will people tell other people about their struggles? And when I say opening about opening up about their struggles, it could be something small, like a small struggle. I'm not talking catastrophic struggles, like, you know, a mental health crisis or feeling like, you know, having a mental breakdown. I'm talking about like, I need someone to run to the store for me because I have no milk and my child, you know, like it could be something small like that. And I need milk for when the baby wakes up because they're going to want a bottle. Um, small things. And so, um, this, this ability, inability that I had for asking for help really became apparent when I was in the thick of the struggle, really working to, um, build my awareness around the childhood trauma and the generational trauma that I had experienced so that I could cut that invisible string, um, for myself to free myself of that because, um, I was slowly dying inside especially with the burden of feeling like a failure for leaving my teaching career and for struggling to adjust to being a stay-at-home mom and managing the household and feeling that that guilt and that shame for not contributing financially um, in the way that I did when I was working full-time. And so so it just became more and more apparent. And, and as I was going through it, I... I felt judged for sure by coworkers asking for help. And that wasn't just at the school I taught my first year of teaching. That was in um, subsequent schools that I worked in. So when I first moved back to Delaware, the first school that I worked in, um, I had a student throw a chair at me and I called the office and no one came. And when I finally saw the principal, I approached her and said, you know, a student threw a chair at me today and I called the office and no one came. And her response to me was, we told you were, we told you that you were going to have to earn their trust. And I just immediately thought like, are you kidding me right now? I am not having a chair thrown at me. That is not happening. No way, not on this earth. And so I did not walk out that day. I stayed the whole school year. And that wasn't the first um, instance of time that like, that wasn't the first instance or the only instance I should say that school year where um, I needed help and there was really no one there to help me. Um, I had a coworker that I could ask for help. Um, but there were times where her response, it felt like she could have, she could have cared less and couldn't have been bothered. And that might've just been a story that I was telling myself because I did have this fear of being judged and, um, and it was hard for me to trust people and it was hard for me to open up. Um, and really feel like I could trust them. And so also too, when you are um, opening up with people about needing help, it's it's vulnerable. Whether it's a small ask or a big ask, it, there's still that level of vulnerability there. And um, and especially if you have if you are someone who has experienced trauma, there's almost this um, this aspect to it where you've learned to become self-reliant because you felt as though you couldn't always depend on others in your family or people in your community. And so, um, 
so asking for help almost felt like you were not only betraying yourself, but you were um, giving the other person another opportunity to betray you. And so I think that was hard too. Um, in my teaching career, it was like, I, so I wanted to be like a teacher who could handle all the things I, I wanted to be someone who would maybe be nominated to be teacher of the year. And so when, um, when I was going through therapy and really starting to work through these things, I had to be independent with my girls during the day because my husband's work schedule was really chaotic and there was not a lot of flexibility available for him to be there for me when I had an appointment. So there were times where I had to take my youngest with me to therapy because the, my older daughter was in kindergarten. And so that was hard because I didn't want her to see me crying and being upset. I didn't want to share openly because I didn't want her to hear the words that I was saying, uh, because she was two and I, you know, two-year-olds, they understand a lot. And I just didn't know what she would understand, what her little mind would remember. I didn't want her to see me in a vulnerable way sharing vulnerable things that really aren't appropriate for two-year-olds to hear. And so I continued to like be so fiercely independent. But what I was doing in that moment was I was actually betraying myself because I wasn't allowing myself the space that I needed to be able to share openly and work through um, what I was experiencing and feeling in that moment, in that time between one therapy session and the next um, things that I was experiencing with my husband, things that I was experiencing as a mom, trying to work through the trauma with, um, my daughter's home. And so it was really hard because, um, I was almost, I was letting my husband off the hook. You know, there were times where he could accommodate his schedule for a doctor's appointment, a dermatology appointment, a dentist appointment, you know, his yearly appointments or, you know, physical therapy when he hurt his back or things like that, but he couldn't adjust and make that time for me. And that really felt betrayed by him. So I started to feel like I couldn't depend on him either, which made me feel even more alone and isolated than I already did at that time. And so it was, it was apparent to me that I needed to break the cycle and, and, and a full transparency. There are times where the cycle isn't completely broken because I still have a hard time asking for help. Um, because there are times now when I ask for help and, you know, people are like, oh yeah, we'll help you with that. But then when it comes, you know, actually comes time to execute, they're not there. And I have to figure out how to do it on my own anyways. And so the difference now with that is um, I'm less reluctant to ask for help because I, I recognize my limits and I know who, when um, I'm overextending myself or I know when I, I need help. And so, um, so there's, so there's like, it comes a point where you know that you need to break the cycle and you're thinking like, okay, but how can I break the cycle? And part of that is, um, finding people that you can trust and starting to build that trusting relationship with them. And so just recognizing that in the end of the, at the end of the day, your support system isn't going to be most likely this huge wide net that you can cast and encompass all of these people. It's going to be a select few, of, a select few people. 
Um, because that's really the most realistic thing, especially because people are busy with their own lives and they need help and support. And so just knowing that if you can start to build that trust with them and you can start to be okay, being a little bit vulnerable and recognizing that if someone isn't there to help you, it's not what you experienced in the past with people not being there for you. So really being able to change the story around it. And that was, that was what I could not do when I was in the thick of the struggle going through therapy and feeling like I didn't have anyone like that. I couldn't count on my husband. I mean, it was clear I could count on myself because I was figuring out and finding ways to do the work that I needed to do to heal the trauma. Um, even if it was just, you know, riding in the car to get my older daughter from kindergarten and listening to a podcast or taking time in the morning to do my morning routine of journaling and meditating, going to yoga, excuse me. I had to start showing up for myself and building that trust with myself first because there were times where I did, I let myself down. And so I think subconsciously I didn't trust myself either. I didn't trust myself to honor my needs. I didn't trust myself to be able to ask for help when I needed it. And so I really had to start building that trust with myself first. And then that led to me being more comfortable with seeking help and building trust and support with others. And so if you're really thinking like, okay, yes, this is totally me. And I need to figure out how to get support. I need to be able to ask for help because right now I'm self-sabotaging. I'm struggling. I'm overextending myself. I'm not asking for help when I need it. And I'm becoming angry and resentful and exhausted more than I already am. Here are a few things that you can do. And some of these might be really hard. And some of these might feel really easy. And some of these things you might already be doing. But the first thing is really identify what you need. Identify what your goal is. So Part of the issue that I had when I was going through therapy was I had so many needs. I needed space to be able to go to therapy by myself. I needed space to be able to come home from therapy and just continue crying if I needed to, or to take a nap if I needed to. And I needed um, to just have time to myself to just go get coffee with a friend or go to a Tuesday morning yoga class or go to a Wednesday evening Zumba class. And so there were a lot of needs there. And I think that also made it challenging for me to be able to ask for help specifically what I needed, because sometimes I didn't even know what I needed. I needed something, but I did not know what that was. And so if you can clearly define what it is that you want help with, what is the goal that you're seeking help with, getting assistance with, that's that's the first step because then you're going to have a specific understanding of of what you need help with who could be a good support system for you who would be a great person to assist you with that specific thing and then it also makes it easier to come up with the requirements that you need in that person to build trust but it also becomes really clear what you actually need help with and being able to communicate that so that way whoever it is that you're asking for help can say yes i am able to help you with that or no i am not but i could do this or i know someone who could 
and it gives them an opportunity to be able to support you in a different way than maybe what you are initially seeking from them. And really also be willing and willing to communicate. And I know that there's that level of vulnerability there, but it's so important because if you can be open and honest with yourself, it makes it easier to share your feelings, your thoughts, and your concerns with the people that you do trust. And what you are hoping to achieve by sharing with them what you're needing, what you're going through, and then they can make sure that they are understanding exactly what it is that you're communicating. They can ask clarifying questions. They can even just be a sounding board because maybe that's all that you might need, but it allows you both to be on the same page. So that way there's no confusion. There are no unexpected bumps in the road, no um, unexpected arguments or tiffs or anything like that. It just, it makes the picture so crystal clear. And then also setting boundaries. Um, so they might have to set boundaries with you just as much as you have to set boundaries with them. Because sometimes what happens is you ask the person for one thing. And my husband is guilty of doing this still to, um, to some degree. I'll ask for one thing and he'll do that. But then if there's another task associated with that request, he'll just do that too. So um, here's a perfect example. I do not like to cook, never have. And so um, my husband and I, we have an agreement where he will cook and I clean up, but he just gets in this mode where he cooks, we eat dinner and then I start cleaning up and he's like, I'll do it. And he just takes over. I'm like, but wait, I said, I'll do it. Like, there's nothing preventing me from cleaning up right now. You know, I got it. But he's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm sure you have other things to do. I got it. And, I, and as does he, he has also other things to do. And so um, that's just like a very, I'll say silly, small example. But there are other times where other things have um, trans have happened too, um, where he just takes over. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I asked for one thing. Um, but then there are times where um, I've asked for for help and um, I've asked help for one thing and then the person takes over and they do more than one thing. And then they feel angry because they've done more than I expected of them. And so um, that's where really clear boundaries come in because it allows you to be able to express what you're comfortable with or what you're not comfortable with and the other person too. And sometimes that is even a hard conversation to have because there is a lot of vulnerability there to be able to say to someone, I'm comfortable with this, but I am not comfortable with that. And that can be tough. The other thing that you can do is look for additional resources. So um, one of the things that I decided I needed to do was I needed to look for someone on care.com to help. Now, this was a huge struggle for me because we have two dogs and a cat. And because there is this um, invisible line of pain from a generational trauma and some of that generational trauma that I did not experience was sexual abuse and physical abuse, but there are people in my family who did. And um, so that fear has always been very real for me, especially having two little girls that someone would sexually or physically abuse them. And so I'm 
on some level, like a helicopter parent, I'm very selective with who I allow to have my children when I am not around. And there are very few people that I will let have my children overnight for, for a few hours, less so now because they're almost 14 and 11, even though I know the 14 year old, it's like kind of still that age where it could happen. There's like no immune age from sexual or physical abuse because I experienced physical abuse um, in an abusive relationship with my high school boyfriend. So I know that there, the age is like, there's no age where it never happens, but I feel more confident now with who they can spend time with, because I know that they can verbalize, um, what has, what will happen if something does happen. So I started looking for someone on care.com that would be available to help me with Casey, my younger daughter, and would be okay with the dogs and the cat. And could handle all of that for me to go to a therapy appointment in the morning or to go have coffee with a friend because I needed, um, I needed that because I was feeling a little bit suffocated that I didn't have adult interaction, um, outside of sitting in, uh, an observation room when my kids were in gymnastics or dance class or swim class. And when you're there in those moments um, and you're chatting with the other moms, sometimes they're not your friends. They're just more of an acquaintance. Um, But it's like for a half an hour and then that's it. And then uh, 45 minutes, an hour, and then off you go. And it's not really a relaxing time of catching up and reflecting and rejuvenating. It's still like a time of go, go, go. So, um, so that might be hard. And also like looking into support groups or community or community organizations or even online groups. So I have a meetup group um, on meetup.com where I have 186 women in my group and we get together and they come to my tapping workshops. They come to my sound baths. They come to my women's circles. Um, I feel like I've done other events and I'm drawing a blank at the moment, but So there are other ways that you can get support. Um, And especially now in this day and age with the beauty of Zoom and technology, we really can get support in other ways that doesn't necessarily have to be like in the flesh, so to speak. So it's really beautiful that you can create a support system that's really customized just for you. Um, Because what I need in my support system might not be the same thing that you need in your support system. And so... um, you know, it can be friends, families, professionals, support groups, and, and really having a, a diverse support group is great because that allows you to be able to get different opinions, different perspectives, different needs met by different people. And, um, and that there's so much beauty in that because everybody can provide you with something a little bit different. And then making sure that whoever your trusted helper is, you're doing regular check-ins with them because, Um, If you're not, they can't make adjustments to the assistance that they're helping you with, but also we start to bottle things up and then there becomes so much pressure, the cork pops and we explode. And then sometimes at that point, it's more than what they can help with. And then we're feeling alone and um, unworthy and not trustful. And it sets us back rather than helping us to move forward and really it's super important to be patient, especially with yourself and with those that you're asking for help from, um, because they might not be used to you asking for help. So that's going to be something that is new for them. And 
they're going to be working through ex like what your expectations are. If they're, you know, they might say yes initially, and then they might have to make adjustments because it might not actually be something that they're able to do, or they can do a version of it. And there might be changes that need to happen, but there will inevitably be setbacks because that's just the way that life happens. And that's okay. But that's where the support system comes back into place, especially if you have um, a variety of areas, a variety of modalities to get support from. Um, it can help minimize those setbacks or make them the setback feel less intense or not last as long. And so, um, you know, the the really the goal of this in, in getting the support that you need, being able to ask others for help is so that you can continue to be empowered and provide yourself with the self-care that you need, um, because this is going to allow you to be more compassionate towards yourself. It's going to be allow it's going to allow you to be more active and engaged in activities that you value. It's going to allow you to honor what you value. And it's going to allow you to be in a more positive mental and emotional space for your mental and emotional health and also your physical health too, because you're going to feel better. So you're going to want to get up and do things. You're not going to want to just lay and sleep all day. Um, you might decide that you're ready to take on a hobby. Like at, for me, I started running, um, in 2014 and, um, that was before therapy, but while I did not stick with the running and I really wish I had, it doesn't mean that I can't go back to it. And the same is the case for you, but actually became um, more beneficial for me in this time was yoga. So I started going to yoga on Saturday mornings and I started meditating. And so it's, so when we're giving ourselves that space, um, we can actually be more empowered and have better self-care. And then that allows us to be the, a better version of ourselves so that we can have better, more fulfilling interactions with people who mean the most to us, but also when we go out into public. So we're not, you know, angry and biting people's heads off um, because there's so much pressure and anger and resentment festering beneath the surface. And so when you're able to start doing these things, um, just know that that's something to be celebrated. So it's super important that you just take time to celebrate. And if this seems a little chopped together, it's because uh, my initial recording got interrupted. And so I just wanted to wrap this episode up. And so also to be sure to take time to evaluate um, every now and then and make any adjustments and don't be afraid to adjust your approach, the people in your support network, um, the places that you're finding support because this is going to allow you to continue to learn more about yourself and what you're dealing with and what you actually need and what you don't need. So if you found this episode helpful, please feel free to share it with a friend because the more the merrier. And if you would be so kind to leave a review, I would greatly appreciate it because I take the time to read all the reviews to ensure that this podcast continues to be a place of support and guidance and really a one-stop shop for resources for women, because let's face it, we have to stick together. So thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.